Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. All right, well, let's take our Bibles tonight and let's go to the book of James, James in chapter number five. James chapter 5, and uh, tonight is kind of like part two of this morning. If you were here for this morning, we talked about prayer quite a bit and uh, out of 1 Timothy, and then as we wrap up our series in the book of James, uh, it's on prayer as well. And so we're going to kind of get a, get a part two. Of course, the book of James, we've been making our way through it over the, uh, over the course of the last, um, really last few months. I think we started in James I don't know, did we start in James at the beginning of the year? Brian, do you remember? I think so. And so it's taken us a while. This is message number 14. That's what I know. And uh, so, of course, the book of James written to uh, believers. It's the first New Testament book that was written. And it's written for the purpose of being an encouragement. And I don't know about you, but uh, man, every now and then I need some encouragement. And I'm not going through nearly the trials that they did. And yet we know that James was writing for the purpose of helping them, encouraging them. Uh, James chapter 1, he wrote to them, hey, know that the trying of your faith brings about patience. And so let, let that long-suffering work in you so that you can be mature and complete, entire, wanting nothing. And uh, James just had this desire to write to these believers to help them see that although you're going through some incredible hardships, God has a purpose, God is working, God has a plan, and you, you and I, we can live out authentic Christianity or real Christianity even in the midst of trials. And of course, we've learned a number of lessons. We've learned about a lot of things regarding uh, uh, trials and regarding eternity. Last week, we were challenged. Nope, not last week. Whenever the last message was uh, in James, we were challenged in understanding that when we focus on eternity, when we focus on the fact that eternity is right around the corner, it'll help us to have patience. He spoke into patience again. It'll help us to be appreciative of other believers around us and not begrudging of other people and wondering why their circumstances aren't as bad as mine. And then it also helps us have character. We focus on eternity, helps us live for eternity, knowing that God could come back at any moment. And so we should uh, be living accordingly because of that. As we come to the closing thoughts tonight, we're gonna find James writing about something that he's already written about. It's actually interesting that James, he started uh, one of the very first principles that he established was the principle of prayer. James chapter one and verse number five, if you lack wisdom, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. We're gonna find James ending on the subject of prayer. In the book of James, he had a lot to say about the tongue and about the speech. You remember, those of you that have been here, remember some of the messages when, he's, when he, he talked about in James chapter number three, the power of the tongue and how uh, the tongue is a, a great fire that it can cause damage or it can be very rewarding. And so be, be careful how you speak. James wrote about the tongue and how we use it to speak to certain classes of people and speaking to the rich one way and the poor another way. And James also talks about how we uh, should use the tongue in some positive ways, speaking about encouraging people or proclaiming God's word. 
And then he talks about using the tongue in prayer, using our words in prayer. One man said it this way about prayer. He said, prayer is certainly a high and a holy privilege to think that as God's children, we can come freely and boldly to his throne and share with him our needs. I mentioned that this morning as we looked in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse number 3, where it says that it's good and acceptable that we would be spending time with God, that it's valuable to him. And James, in these last few verses, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, prayer is mentioned seven times. Seven times James mentions or alludes to praying and what that means and what it looks like. And I think if he were to allude to it seven times in his closing thoughts and the closing passage, I think we would all agree that it was important. Prayer is important. It's almost as if, you know, and, and again, I've, I think we've tried to do this every week. We've tried to put ourselves in the place of these believers who were going through these uh, intense challenges and going through all of this great persecution. Uh, it's almost as if James is writing to them, uh, yes, have patience. Yes, be careful how you treat people. Yes, allow God to work. Yes, and he goes through all of these encouragements. But it's almost as if James, the half-brother of Jesus, in the very first book, writes to them, don't underestimate what prayer will do in the life of a believer. Don't underestimate the power of prayer in the life of a Christian. And of course, we know that prayer and the encouragement to pray can be one of the greatest things uh, for us, not only through trials, but in good times and bad times. Of course, the writer of Hebrews said it this way, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And for many believers, it would be wise of us, instead of complaining about our situation it would be good for us to understand that the authentic Christian, someone who's walking and maturing with God, they're going to be speaking to God about their situation. And the awesome part about prayer is the fact that God hears his children and he desires to answer his children. And so this morning we spoke about the importance of prayer. We were challenged about praying for our leadership as well as understanding the value in prayer. And tonight we're gonna kind of build on that message and close out our series in James. So let's stand together, James chapter five, and we're gonna read a few verses. James chapter five, and beginning in verse number 13, James says this, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick, or is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he had com have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he, he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Tonight we're going to try to dissect this passage a little bit 
And I think there's really five principles that I see about prayer in these verses that we're going to get tonight. And so let's ask God to bless the time in his word, and then we'll get right into it. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you take just a moment in your heart and just surrender to the Lord. God, I want to hear from you tonight. Would you speak to me tonight? And then would you just make a decision that if God speaks to you, that you're going to listen to him tonight. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity with our All-American Sunday to honor uh, some first responders and some of our elected officials and our military. Thank you for the guests that we had. Thank you for the power of your word to encourage and help. And Lord, thank you for our church. We thank you for just uh, the church family that you've brought here and how you continue uh, to use us and how you continue to work. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just help us. Would you encourage and strengthen us tonight through your word? Would you um, challenge us in the area of prayer? Lord, I know that I have been challenged this week as I've studied both for this morning and tonight. And I just want to pray that you'd help, uh, help speak to us in our hearts about our, uh, our time with you and seeking you and about the power that you have. And so, Lord, bless our time. Use it for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> you ever had somebody give you that phrase that is the, the title of the message tonight? Hey, call if you need anything. You ever had anybody say that? Hey, call me if you need anything. I've had people, and you have too, that have said that, and I wonder, what does that mean? Because I need a lot of things. I mean, like right, right now, I could use a couple million dollars. How many, anybody else here, you could use some money? Uh, I know that there's times in my life that I could say, well, I, I need a nice meal right now. I could use some Taco Bell. Like, give them, like Taco Bell's not a nice meal. Uh, I could use a bowl of cereal. I could, I could use, and you might go down this road. I could use a new car. Well, we could use some new shoes or whatever the case might be. Call me if you need anything. All of us have people in our lives that we have done that. We have, uh, they have said that to us, and we have people we've said it to before as well. And we all know that a lot of times, I hate to say it, but probably most of the time, it's just kind of being courteous. Oh, hey, call me if you need anything. Uh, but probably more often than not, we don't mean it. Now, hopefully we mean it in a group like this. I know as a pastor, I try to say it to people, hey, let me know if you need anything in that, if I can be a blessing. Uh, this morning with our, our elected officials and first responders, they got a letter, and in that letter it said, hey, call me if I can ever be an encouragement or a help to you. And you know what? We mean that. But you and I, we've all had people that have said it and didn't mean it. How do we know? Well, because you've called them. You ever had those people that they said it, they call me if you need anything, and a couple weeks later, you're like, man, they, they said, call them if I need anything. And so what do you do? You pick up the phone and you call them. And it goes to voicemail. And you call them again the next day and it goes to voicemail. And you call them again the third day, maybe it goes to voicemail. And you know, man, they are not picking up that call. Or you've had them pick up the call and they answer and you say, hey, Mike, Mike, I was getting a hold of you. You said, call you if I need anything. And Mike says, you know, Pastor, uh, I can't help with that. I'm sorry. Hey, Dustin, I called you. You said, call me if you need anything. And man, we've all had that. Now I'm just picking on Mike and Dustin, but we all know 
They've never done that to me, just so you know, all right? We all know people that maybe we've called or we've been on the receiving end where they call us and we're like, hey, I, I really can't help you with that. Tonight, I want to speak about this principle that we never need to wonder. We never need to wonder if God's going to pick up. We never need to wonder if God is going to say, oh, sorry, I can't really help you with that. <laughs> no, because <clears throat> the principle that we're going to see tonight is God answers every prayer. God answers every prayer. Now, the answer to prayer may not look like your answer or my answer that we wanted, but God does answer every prayer. And I'll tag on this thought, that God's answer to every prayer helps us. Even if it's not the answer we wanted, it still helps us. And so I think as we read the book of James and as we read this conclusion that James is writing uh, to these believers, I think we need to have in our mind the understanding that James is writing to them, hey, whatever your situation is, you can take it to God and you can trust that God is going to work. James talks about five specific things about prayer that I see in this passage. And I see first off tonight that James writes to these readers that, that we should pray we should pray during times of struggle and times of joy. We should pray during times of struggle and times of joy. I see this in verse number 13 when James writes these words. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. The word afflicted in verse number 13, it means to undergo hardship or suffering in difficult circumstances. No doubt these believers were being afflicted. Paul actually used the exact same word to describe the circumstances that he was in in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 9, as he's awaiting trial, perhaps for the end of his life, not knowing what was going on, he would use the same Greek word for the word afflicted. This word afflicted would have totally resonated with these readers because at this time, they were undergoing extreme hardship. Now, I don't think we can ever really put into words the persecution that first century Christianity went under as Christians living in America. But I do believe that there are many believers on the globe right now that are undergoing a similar persecution. I think of believers in, in a place like North Korea, where it is a completely illegal to be a Christian and, and many believers giving their life there on a weekly basis for simply knowing Christ. I think about believers in India, our missionary Amos Moses, who can't be in India right now and, and probably won't be able to go back as a missionary, but still pastoring a church online and having over, I just uh, talk with, talking with him this last week, having over 300 in service every single weekend and sometimes up near six or 700 people that are online, many of them in India, uh, where it's illegal to be a Christian, where it's against the, the law for you to, now they've put out an unrolled new laws where you can't convert people. If you do, the state's gonna come in and take all of your stuff and, and make it where you have nothing left. 
Man, that's the type of persecution that these Christians were under. I don't know about you, but I would call that affliction. I would call that hardship. And here's what James says. If, if any among you are in those hardships, let him pray. Hey, seek God. Pursue God. I think the challenge through hardship, if we were to be honest, we would all say that the challenge through hardship is to complain. The challenge through hardship is to have the why me attitude. It's to have the, the victim mentality. And James has already challenged them not to complain in time of difficulty. And here he's saying, hey, if you find yourself in a deep hardship, then pray, seek God's face. He's already written to, that, to them that verse that we quoted a minute ago. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Hey, seek God, and he's going to give you that wisdom. <clears throat> and I want to say this tonight, that prayer, prayer does not guarantee that my circumstances will disappear or that my circumstances will change. We have to know that as James wrote to them, no doubt many of the people that he wrote to, they indeed did give their life for the cause of Christ. We know that uh, history even tells us that James himself would give his life. So we, we know what history can teach us a little bit and and so we might be able to come to this, a verse like this or a verse like James 1.5 or a verse like, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray and understand that James isn't saying, hey, God is going to do away with the trial. But you know what prayer does is prayer allows my heart to become in sync with God's heart. Think about it this way, our theme for the year, saved by grace, strengthened by grace. When you and I humble our hearts and pray for God's strength. The Bible says this, that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he gives grace in time of need. Hebrews chapter four, verse number 16, where we started, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain grace and mercy in time of need. You know what God does when we're going through a hardship and we seek him? God helps us by strengthening us. And I said at the beginning of the message that when we pray, that sometimes God answers the prayer, but it's not the answer that we wanted. What is God, how does God then answer the prayer? Well, he, uh, he strengthens our heart for the circumstances we're in. No doubt these believers at times thought, James, I've prayed, and yet what, what happened in my life was not what I prayed. And James was no doubt writing to them to help them understand that Prayer should be a part of your suffering, not that it's going to absolve the suffering, but it's going to bring you closer to God. And we all want to walk with God through trials rather than distant from God in trials. I like how one man summarized the thought when he said this, God can transform troubles into triumphs through his grace working in our lives rather than just changing the circumstances. And troubles can become great victories. Why? Just simply because of the added grace in our life. James says you need to pray in the hard times when you're afflicted. But then he also says you need to pray in the joyous times. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Let him sing psalms. Now the phrase sing psalms would, meet, would be to worship God and speak to God or about God through song. 
We know many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible, uh, they were actual prayers put to music. That's what many of the Psalms were, prayers put to music. And here's what James is simply saying. Hey, if, is, if there's any afflicted among you, seek God. If any are rejoicing and merry and it's a good life, good things are happening. Hey, let him sing prayer to God. Let him sing Psalms to God. And you know what God does is God in our life. And if we were to uh, again, reflect and really think about life, we could, we could understand that God balances our lives by giving us times of suffering, but God also brings and allows times of rejoicing. God allows suffering, but God also allows rejoicing. And so James writes to them basically that prayer should be a part of our life at the high times and the low times. All of us are great at praying and talking to the Lord in those low, low points, but he says, if there's any Mary among you, hey, Sing psalms to God. Don't, don't skip prayer time. Don't skip praise time when things are going well. We should be praying not only in times of struggle, but also in times of joy. Then James writes in verse 14 and verse number 15 that we should be praying in sickness. We should pray during times of sickness. Verse 14 and 15, we read these words. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now I wanna say, first of all, with this, these verses that James is not, he is not giving us a blanket formula for healing in times of sickness. There are certain religious groups that will take these verses and they will run with them and they will say, well, if you're sick, then people should come and anoint oil with you. And if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. <clears throat> but there's been a lot of people that I've seen that have prayed, sought the Lord in faith and been anointed with oil and they weren't healed. James is not given a blanket statement. No, really, I believe that the main thrust of this is just understanding that faith and seeking God, even in times of sickness, is something that God uses. Now, just because it's a, a Sunday night crowd, I know most everybody here loves to kind of dig deeper into the scripture. There's a lot of people that would look at James 14 or James chapter 5 verse 14 and 15 and you could probably understand that there were some people just like you read in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 that there's some people who are sick because of sinful decisions that God is actually allowing sickness to bring people back to the Lord and allowing sickness to uh, uh, cause them to turn back to the Lord. That's why you have that phrase in there, if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That, that prayer of faith, turning back to the Lord in faith, uh, that God can definitely heal and God can forgive any sin. But I don't believe that that is the absolute main thrust of the passage. I think while there's a connection to this, basically there's just 
an encouragement from James to pray in times of sickness, to gather people around the sick and to pray in faith and to bring in uh, leadership to come in and say, man, we are praying for God to work a miracle. And again, this is not guaranteeing healing. It It is encouraging prayer in faith during times of sickness. This is praying and believing that God is able to heal and that God can and will heal according to his will. Praying in prayers of faith is really praying prayers of submission. A prayer of faith is, God, we believe you can. A prayer of submission is, God, we're submitted to you regardless of what happens. Now, some might say, well, that's, a, that's then you're praying in doubt. No, you're praying with a faith that believes God can and God will, and God, will, God very much could receive glory if the healing took place. But God, we are submitted to your will because we recognize that you may answer this prayer by giving grace through a trial rather than by giving healing from the trial. This type of faith in prayer is written about in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we, have, if we ask anything according to his will, He heareth us, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Again, there's groups of believers that like to take many of these verses out of context and simply say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. I remember many times that dad would be counseling people, and uh, of course, through his sickness and through all of his uh, uh, cancer, he met a lot of people that would, you know, after he had he had overcome cancer five times at one point, and he would have people, wow, man, you just, you just must have a really great faith. And my dad would always answer, he'd say, no, I have a really great God. Because he understood that it's not my faith. My faith is not, you know, the, the prayer of faith is going to save the sick. People lean into that, and they say, well, see, you just didn't have enough faith. Didn't get healed, so you didn't have enough faith. That's not what James is writing about. James is writing about the submission and the understanding that I am simply going to seek God in any circumstance. Why? Because I believe that God can, and I'm going to submit to what God does. And believers should pray with a belief that God's plan is perfect, and then they have a submission to that plan, even if it contradicts what we think is best. This is praying with a desire and a submission for his will above all else. Praying with a belief that God's plan is perfect, even if it, does, even if it doesn't go along with what we think, because it may be that God's plan is not to heal. It may be that God's plan is not to give the promotion. It may be that, that that move at that time isn't right. It may be that that new job isn't right. It may be that that, uh, that new house isn't the right thing. It may be that the circumstance that you're going through is not going to simply just go away, that God wants you to walk through that. And James is challenging the reader that during times of sickness, it's a healthy thing spiritually to pray in faith. We should be praying in the, the high times, the good times, as well as in the struggles. We should pray during times of sickness. But thirdly, there's a challenge here to pray for each other. Look at verse number 16. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Now, there is some connection back to verse 14 and 15, understanding some accountability. But the confessing and the praying right here in verse, the first part of verse number 16 is confessing and praying to each other and for each other. Now, what James is not doing, James is not suggesting that we have to confess our sins to people or to a preacher or to a priest to find forgiveness. No, we know from Scripture, Scripture will always complement and uh, comment on Scripture. So what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it just simply means that the Bible is always going to back up the Bible. All right, so we know from Scripture that the Bible teaches that we have one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. We know, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The confessing of, hey, I sinned, I repent, should always be directed toward God. But in the writing that we, we receive here and that we see here is simply James writing that our sin should be confessed to the people that it affects. We should never confess sin beyond the circle of sin's influence. We confess our sin first to, the, first to the Lord, but then we also confess our sin to those that have been affected by it. One man said it this way, that private sin requires private confession. Public sin requires public confession. And prayer should always be a part. Now, some Christians should recognize that the public confession of sin, and I, I've been in services, and if you've been in, any, if you've been in church for any length of time, then you know of sometimes the dreaded testimony time when a microphone is given to somebody that you know is going to air dirty laundry. And I remember there's been plenty of services where we would have, maybe, maybe I remember a camp one time. Uh, we had this camp. I was probably 15 or 16 years old, and, and it was Friday night of camp, and they had testimony service, and, and this one kid got up, and he was a senior, or maybe even a cop, might have even been a counselor, and he grabbed that microphone, and he stood at that microphone for probably a good three to five minutes, and he was just telling everybody every sin that he had ever committed. And he is just going down the line. And man, I remember some of those people and some of those youth pastors, like everybody's trying to scramble and think, what do we do? And wondering, why does that person up there not just grab the microphone? It finally hit a point that the person just reached over and was like, all right, well, praise the Lord for that uh, testimony. Who's next? You know, well, how do you follow that? You know, uh, man, sometimes those types of confessional, that's not what James is writing about. James is not saying you need to go before everybody and get up on every Sunday morning and confess your sin for the week. No, the idea here is understanding, like the principle that's in Proverbs 28, verse number 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let me just give you two simple words to help us understand verse number 16. It is accountability and support. It's accountability and support. What's he say? Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Hey, the idea of confessing your faults one to another is if you know there's areas of your life that you are continually struggling in, find somebody that can help you. 
Find somebody accountable within the church. Find somebody accountable that's a fellow Christian that you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me about that? And that phrase that you can be healed, it connects back to somebody who's stuck in sin and continually sinning. James is writing this understanding. Hey, some of you, there might be some sickness and things going on in your life because of you continually going back to the same sin over and over and over again. And we know that uh, the Bible teaches to God bringing judgment into our life because of continually coming back into sin. And James is writing to them, (coughs) excuse me, this idea, man, have, have some accountability and some support for each other, and you're going to find healing during those times. Private sin, again, requires private confession. Public sin requires public confession. But then I also believe that we need to see just that, uh, that idea of accountability and support. If there are sins you struggle with, get people built up around you, that they can pray for you, that you can be honest and transparent with them. These are are people that you trust, not because you're trying to air dirty laundry, but because you are trying to find healing from something that is causing maybe a spiritual sickness in your life because you just keep going back to it. James writes to them, hey, pray. Pray during the times that you struggle, the times that you rejoice. Spend time praying. Hey, pray for each other. Pray in sickness. And then I believe there's a great challenge to pray fervently. To pray fervently. Notice verse 16 down through verse number 18. James says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions, as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruits. I found this quote years ago when I was preaching through James 5, or preaching really just James 5 16. And it was a, um, a commentary or a pastor's definition of James 5, 16, verse, that, that, uh, part B, that second part, and he said this, that the active and passionate prayer of a believer who is walking right with God accomplishes an abundant and great deal. What is James writing about? He's basically writing the thought, when we pray, God works. When the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, accomplishes a great deal of things. That phrase, availeth much, literally means accomplishes abundant and a great deal of fill in the blank. It's like when we pray, God works. And then James gives an example of this. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain and it stopped raining. And then Elijah prayed again that it would rain and it rained. Now, why is James writing about this? Again, remember the context of the book. These people are going through some incredible hardships and trials. 
And it's like James is writing to them and simply saying, hey, listen, don't miss your greatest resource in times of struggle, your affliction and, and the times of joy and the times of sickness, the effectual, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, someone who's right with God that is really seeking God. When we pray, God works. These promises are all throughout the word of God. Matthew 7 7 and 8, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh to him and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more your heavenly father shall give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. James or Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, enter into your closet and when you shut your door, pray unto the father which is in secret and your father which is in secret will reward you openly. All throughout the New Testament, all throughout the, the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is not a doctrines book. What does that mean? That means the book of Acts, we don't gather a lot of uh, church doctrine from the book of Acts. We gather a lot of church practice. What did they do in the book of Acts? Well, <clears throat> you can go through tons of passages and you find the people praying and then God working. Acts 1.14, they were in one accord and they prayed and sought God. The next few verses you read about the day of Pentecost and at the end of Acts chapter two, it says that over 3,000 were baptized, of course, insinuating that over 3,000 trusted Christ as Savior during that time. Acts chapter four, they prayed facing persecution and the result is the place was shaken where they were, were assembled and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, and then spake the word of God with boldness and the multitude of them that believed they were of one heart and one soul and God used them with great power during that time. Acts chapter 12, Peter is facing persecution. He prays and God opens the doors and provides freedom in his life. Acts 16 uh, we find that prayer took place and then a church was planted. Acts 16 as well, we find uh, Paul and Silas in jail praying and God releasing them and getting them out of prison. Just the fact is, the principle is taught and the practice is taught that when we pray, God works. I just know that as a believer, as a pastor, as a father, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I forget that. I forget that. Now, I know it. I know that when I pray that God can do some incredible things. But you know what I forget to do oftentimes? I forget to really pray. Now, when it talks about the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, I remember years ago, someone said, well, when you pray, you just got to pray hard. I was like, well, what does that mean? Pray hard. I'm like, dear God, I just... I pray. Man, you're going to bust a blood vessel in your head. You do that type of stuff. No, the fervent prayer of a righteous man, it's, it's just simply saying when you are broken and before God, when you're just real with him. David said that a contrite and a broken heart, God, God won't despise. Man, someone right with God that's seeking him as the first resource to see God work. I have a thought about this and a challenge before we move to the last point for the night. I think about our church and moving forward. Man, it's really been on my mind and on my heart 
Uh, of course, all 11 and a half years, but really just the last, the last year or so, and specifically the last two or three months, man, we need to get this building done. We haven't even started on it yet. We need to get it done. But you know what it's gonna take? Yeah, pastor, it's gonna take a few million dollars. Yeah, yeah, it will. But I don't wanna... I don't want to see God just bring in a few million dollars without the power of God. Man, you look at this morning and uh, the attendance this morning, the guests that we had, and, and then you hear the testimonies of people. And I, I, love, I love sometimes just kind of sitting and listening to other people just talk about their testimony, what God's doing in their life. And, and it kind of stirs in me just this little, I don't know, little excitement I wonder who else is out there that needs a story like this. Man, I wonder who else you're doing business with that needs Jesus that you could reach. I wonder about your coworkers. I wonder about the people that I'm praying for. And right now I could name a number of people that I'm praying for today that they would get saved, that they'd trust Christ. And I'm thinking about uh, my wife with Hannah's art business and all of, all of the contacts that God has brought into her life. And now half a dozen people that she's praying for, like God help them to get saved you know what? We need to remember that when we pray is when God works. Again, it's not a guarantee. It's not saying, well, if you see God on that and have enough faith, and man, that building's gonna be up in no time. It's gonna be, no, it's just when I'm broken before God and recognize like, God, we don't wanna move forward without you. That's when God works. I look around tonight, look at our, our group that's here. What if, what if every single person here, we just got a hold of that truth? And we kind of dedicated ourselves and our heart to say, you know what? I'm going to be that person James is writing about. I'm going to be a fervent, right with God prayer warrior. I wonder what God would do. I wonder what God would do in your family, mom and dad, if you really just prayed. I wonder what God would do in your own heart and if we just sought God with that faith, that submission to his will. I mentioned Charles Spurgeon this morning. He's, he's given this quote. Prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscles of omnipotence. I've had that quote written down in various places for years. It's prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of power. And when we pray, God works. I see these points tonight about prayer that... We are challenged to pray for each other. We are challenged to pray fervently. We are challenged to pray in the struggles and the times of rejoicing to pray in sickness. But then the last thought tonight is the idea that we should pray for and strengthen the weak. We should pray for and we should strengthen the weak. Matthew 5, 19 and 20, it says this, my brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, that word err, it means to wander from the truth. And one convert him. One person helps pull him back in, helps, see him, helps him see his way and repent. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. In these two verses, while James did not mention specifically prayer in these verses, the implication, no doubt, is there. 
If we should pray in hard times and in sick times, and if we should pray fervently, then surely we should pray for and encourage the Christian that is wandering from the truth. These verses deal uh, um, quite a bit with our ministry to fellow believers to understand uh, that the Old Testament saying is that there are, there's a group of believers that, that backslide and haven't all of us been there? Haven't all of us been at that place where we are not walking with the Lord like we should be and we've erred from the truth, we've wandered from the truth, we've wandered from God's word, of course, John 17, 17, his word is the truth. And there's been times in your life and my life when a Christian, we don't stay as close to the truth as we should and we, we drift away. This happened to Peter. Remember when Jesus warned Peter that the devil wants to sift you as wheat. Peter, you're, you're kind of drifting away and Peter refused to believe the, the word that God gave to him and Later, Peter would argue, remember the night before Christ's crucifixion and Peter was arguing with the Lord, I would never betray you. And yet we find Peter later betraying God and wandering. If that type of wandering can happen to Peter, then we have to know that it can happen in our life as well. And so James is writing and challenging the believers Hey, be challenged that if you look out and you see a believer wandering from the truth, hey, do everything you can to get them focused back in. The content has been prayer most recently. Hey, pray for them. With that direct uh, uh, implication of someone who has been continually moving in sin and praying for healing and all of that type of stuff. These verses follow right along with that thought, understanding that when you help restore somebody, when you help bring somebody back to the truth, man, you're saving somebody from the ultimate end of sin. What is the ultimate end of sin? Man, you're saving them from death. Now, again, the writing here is to believers. It's not now, we'll see it in a second. There is a great application for witnessing here. But he's saying there's been people that are saved. They don't lose salvation. They just stray into sin. And the end result of sin is always something horrific. And when you help bring them back, when you pray for and strengthen other believers, man, God puts it on your account that you brought someone back. You save someone from the result of sin. Help someone get again right with God. The thought here that the follower of God should pray for, should pray for those who used to follow and should try to strengthen them and bring them back to following God. The idea of being converted is to be repentant, turned back to the right path. And when we bring someone back to truth who once walked in truth, God says that's a blessed decision. And again, while the main application and interpretation of this, the, these specific verses is the idea of a believer straying from truth, there is also a great application of believers reaching the lost. I think the application applies here, just the fact that when you help somebody receive Christ, man, there is a great rejoicing in heaven. Why? Because you've helped somebody convert, repent, 
and turn to God. And when we bring someone to Christ, we truly convert them, that soul, from eternal death to eternal life. Now, we don't do the saving. God does, but God uses us to help with the direction toward truth. I like to, and I've said this many times before, when I'm reading the Bible or even studying to preach, I really try to get my mind in the, in the mindset of the people that were there. The book of James, an incredible, incredible letter. It's all about encouragement through trials. It's all about being real and being encouraged and walking with God even in the midst of horrific circumstances. But I think really, if we could, if I could summarize the book of James into one sentence, I would summarize it into this sentence. Be an authentic Christian and pursue God. Be a real Christian, just living out your life as God would lead you, but pursue him. Why do we say that? Because James talks about the pursuit of God through prayer throughout the entire book. It's not just about being real. It's about understanding that we can't be real without God. And at the end of this book, I think James is just helping us understand. It's God saying, you can call me if you need anything. <laughs> hey, if you need anything, just call me. I'll give grace. I'll provide healing. I'll bring someone back. I'll help. I'll give you wisdom. No matter our circumstances, we should continually seek God. And so the challenge that I give to us tonight, the challenge that I even am impressing upon my own heart is to make the decision to be a Christian who puts emphasis on really pursuing God through prayer. Remembering that phrase, when we pray, God works. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.